Watchmen. That was Kelly Leak. Okay. Yeah, it was the kid smoking in the outfield. I uh, dude, I haven't seen it. Fucking, I've seen it maybe once. It was the bad boy that Jodie Foster felt some longing for before she realized. Jodie Foster. Oof. Oh no. <laughs> I think as a child, I was a member of Jodie Foster's army. I had the biggest crush on Jodie Foster. <laughs> They're an all right band. Oh, fucking yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Old skate band, but they were fine. Well, we used to say that before they were a band, so. Yeah. I think to this day, I think there's only one film that Jodie Foster has died in. If I remember right, I think it's Elysium. Didn't see Elysium. It's fine. Yeah, aggressively. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's fine that you haven't seen it. Ah. it. It probably will never come up, except for now. Mm-hmm. When I'm gonna sit here and grill you about a movie you've never seen, <laughs> um, Jodie Foster was in it. Yeah, Jodie Foster was wasn't in that it. the one with uh, Good Will Hunting in it too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fuck that movie. And uh, Charlton Copley from uh, I don't know if that's how you say his name, but from District Nine. Oh, that was a, a fucking no. I was in. Was the other one made by the same same director? Was parkour, just... where they're jumping around, and it was like a it was future, but it was kind of dystopian. Was it the one in first person? Hardcore Henry? No, 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 no. It was a that movie. That fucking rules. Oh. <laughs> yes, that was pretty good. No, this is... That's this... the same dude that just did uh, Nobody with Odenkirk. Really? I want to see that movie so fucking bad. I heard bad. it's really fucking good. Oh, man. That's right up my wheelhouse. Just everything about that movie screams me. Hell yeah. Odenkirk whooping ass. Yeah, just a tired old man. Just tired of everybody's shit. <laughs> just finally one day snapping. Yeah. It was written for me. <laughs> it's like falling down. <laughs> Yes, for Gen X. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was plenty. Should we just do... Hey, everybody. Welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I am your host. And today, I am joined by legendary country musician... James Marino. Thank you. Thank you very much. And today, we are talking about the 2016 film... I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Also known as Word Salad. Written written and directed by Oz Perkins. Excuse the interruption. This movie sucks. Fuck Fuck you you for making me watch this thing. So this is is the last Oz Perkins movie until he makes another one. Oh, darn. We've done all three of them now. I am crushed. Fuck you. (laughs) This movie sucks. All right. uh, Starring Ruth Wilson as Lily, Paula Prentice as Iris Blum, Lucy Boynton is Polly, and Bob Balaban. Legendary Bob Balaban is Mr. Wax. Ah, the stories, yes. the stories. The head of NBC himself. Ooh. <laughs> that guy. Mr. Dale Ripple. Mr. That Guy himself. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> I, I think we've kind of landed on something before we started recording, so... I think it's pretty clear that you didn't care for this movie by your inappropriate outburst earlier. Uh, inappropriate outburst for this train wreck, ungodly long piece of shit. God, Mike, I hate this movie. I hate this movie a lot. Why? Well, let's start out with um, this movie is pacey. It is slow as fuck right. with very little payoff. It's just I- slow for the sake of slow with some more slow. 
And let me tell you about the voiceovers. I'm not a big fan of voiceovers. But when the voiceover sounds like prose from Civil War coming out of the mouth of somebody modern, the words that I have to say flow difficultly from my mouth because I am reticent at best to say them. Who the fuck talks like that? And especially supposedly a college-age girl who runs the gamut of talking like a Civil War, a Civil War widow or a baby. There's no in-between, and it, none of it's in character because we don't have a sense of her character whatsoever. This is just, I'm sorry, I'm just getting started. There's more invective to her. Is that all? Oh, God, no. God, all right, no. so where should I, because we kind of talked about we're going to bat this back and forth. and uh, I told you I was going to rant for a few because <laughs> this irritated the living fuck out of me, this movie. So I like this movie. Of course you do. Because <laughs> fuck you. This shit's right in my wheelhouse, man. What boring, is... pacey, right. kind of already shot Drek? All right. All right, listen. <laughs> Sh- shut your mouth and listen. I have a tough time with that. I'm not going to fight you. This movie's kind of boring. <laughs> kind of? But it's also very, very good. Oh, please do tell. All right. No, no, no. We'll get into it. What? All right. So. Your your complaint is that it's boring. Oh, yes, and I'm also... Okay, there's one thing, and the only reason I noticed to look for this is um, Simon Pegg movies, where they give you the entire movie in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, they did that, but it wasn't even a picture of this. A sen- no, they just fucking told you straight up, I'm, I'm going to be dead, which I... Okay, that's an interesting plot intro. Okay, well, we mm-hmm. know that she's dying. Okay, that... I got that. That's great. Tells you how she dies, that kind of shit. And I'm just like, come on, leave. If this movie is supposed to be suspenseful, give me some suspense instead of long shots of her walking around the house with shitty jump scares. Okay. Well, first of all, this is a ghost movie. Mm -hmm. So it's about her interacting with a ghost and how she died. That's the point of the movie is everything that happens before this woman dies. I guess because I've now watched, what, five or six horror movies, I have certain expectations from a genre. One of them is to be at least a little scared at one point during the movie. At no point in this movie, and this is saying a lot for me because I get scared from a creaky door. At no point in this movie was I scared. Really? Really. Never. Either I saw it coming or I'm like, oh, Jesus, not this hackneyed piece of shit. Now, I'm looking at hackneyed from six movies, so obviously it's even, I'm sorry, obviously it's even more hackneyed because I only have six movies to compare it to. You didn't find the part where the old woman was telling her, or essentially referring to her as Polly the entire time and talking to an old ghost friend. You weren't scared by that in the least bit. That wasn't in the least bit terrifying. Not even in the slightest. I'm like, oh, boy, she's talking to a ghost. Oh, dear. Yeah. Eh. I, it did not move my dial in the slightest. So, like I said, I'm not going to fight you. This movie's boring. <laughs> yes. And uh, it, it does have a lot of, uh, like, 11th grade poetry vibes. It's, Un- it's a lot of shit that sounds smart, but is actually just kind of nonsense. And I like poetry. If they would have done good poetry, I might have been in for a little bit, but... This was, oh, it's like pulling teeth. 
Well, I don't know. I thought it was pretty well acted. I thought it was well paced. You completely see her descent. Plus, there's the shit on the walls, the shit on her arms. When she finds the box, there's the mark of death on that. None mm-hmm. of that was scary to you. No, it's just that, wow, creeping mold. Oh, dear. All right, oh. so, all right. Descent. Oh. You did your rant. Give us a quick plot description. Okay. Girls hired to be a hospice nurse. For somebody, it sounds amazingly similar to a couple other movies we just watched recently. Um, then scary stuff happens. Exactly. Scary stuff happens. It, scary-ish. Come on. If I can sleep through a movie, it's not scary. All right. We'll keep going. I've got a very low bar for being scared, and she, it just did not. Okay. So she discovers a ghost, and then I'm not giving away anything because it was given away in the first three seconds of the movie, and then she dies after she finds the ghost. Yes. Oh, dear. All right. Well, you're missing a whole lot of this. All right. But go ahead. Go ahead. Level Look, more complaints. Level me. more complaints. Okay. Uh, all right. Not six at a time. Give them no, to me no. one at a time so we can talk about Let this, us talk first. This is a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um, un- unless you can throw some heavy knowledge on me. We've talked in the past about how if I like the movie in the slightest, I will make it work for me. I come up with different scenarios and it's fun for me. But on this movie, it set me up to do all of the heavy lifting. There was no hints or clues that that I could discern to be deeper. I was looking for deeper meaning, too, because I'm starting to look for symbolism. And just I felt like I was either getting hit with a clue bat or just the reveal was nothing. And that's my big thing. If if you're going to have a reveal, have it mean something, have it be... Or ratchet up to scary or ratchet down something. I don't know. It just did not work for me in the slightest. All right. So I guess we're going to get into my main point of why I like this movie because it directly is influenced by what you just said. This is a ghost story on its face, right? But this is really a movie about loneliness and isolation. Right? Yes. Because... The ghost in the house refuses to leave. And there okay. are several times when they say, this is where you will rot. Right. The, the, the rotting was a, a through line through the entire movie. Yes. And they, because they explain at the beginning that ghosts are able to leave whenever. They're not bound by the house. Right. Or bound to the house in this world. They are free to leave and go on to the afterlife whenever. Right. They're, this ghost was bound by the fact that they couldn't see the fact that they were actually dead. They couldn't see the finished because... The soul resides in the mind, not the body or some shit. Yes. And that is the ghost arc of loneliness and isolation. Mm-hmm. Now, the author, Iris, also has dealt with the loneliness and isolation because she speaks to the ghost who helps her write the book, The Lady in the Walls. Right. Which is the huge plot point in this film. And she deals with her loneliness and isolation through more writing mm-hmm. because she explains at the end that the ghost has stopped talking to her. Okay. And that uh, the house is where she will die as well. Now, Lily is also experiencing loneliness and isolation. Right. So, I mean, essentially we're watching her rot, even though she's still alive. Okay. I will give you that also. 
And that so, makes it a little bit more interesting, however, comma. But hold on. I'm, I'm yeah. not finished. So we learn at the beginning that she had just gotten to this house. She is a hospice nurse. They show her with a calling card, calling her friends. And her conversations with her friends are kind of stilted and off. Like, not how you would talk to, like, a good friend of yours. Right. Like, like she's searching for somebody to speak to. Mm-hmm. She calls... Later in the film, we realize... Or, it's not later in the film, but maybe 10 minutes later. We hear, uh, well, what am I supposed to say to him? Remember that time we almost got married and then didn't? Mm-hmm. So she's running from something. Because later, they say that she is from Pennsylvania, and this film takes place in Braintree, Massachusetts. And it's funny because... So the- she is running away from something, and she is trying to still connect with her friends from this life that she's running away from, but in the end, running never works... So, we never see her speak to her friends again after that or point. Or anybody. No. After that point, because even when the repair guy comes to fix and, the wall. And her loneliness and isolation is a metaphor for closing yourself off from the world when you're facing a deep depression. Not only that, but we're also faced with the idea of choice. Yes. So, you can choose to leave and stop running and face whatever, or you can rot. Yes. Which would be all well and good. If I gave a flying fuck about any of the characters, there's little to no development. Yes, there's an arc where you can see um, Bargain Bin Diane Vist go into, you know, her depression or her loneliness or starting to rot. But you don't care one freaking iota about Lily. You don't care anything about that. There's nothing there to give a fuck about. Well, I mean... She's coming into a situation where she knows nothing. So we know as much as the character. Right, but in order for me... Which is what makes this to such care, a good film. To care about the descent or to care about the diminishment of the dementia, I have to get a feel for who these people are, even, even if it's just a slight little thing. Like in the other movies, I cared about some of the characters. Like the character growth from um, the last movie, from Housebound, where you see the girl... You know, go from being a complete piece of shit to this person. Well, I cared about her enough near the end that if something happened to her, I would, I would have some connection to the movie. I felt absolutely no connection, and I don't know if that was a choice by the directors so that I would feel that way, or I just never connected to the characters, and I didn't really care that whether they died or lived. I was just like, oh, they're another piece of furniture moving around the house, which is what bothered me. And one more thing that I really got to thinking about was the scene where Iris is talking to Lily because she calls her Polly throughout this entire film. Right. And she's saying, you know, you've left. You left me when I needed you, and then you just stopped talking. You turned your back, you turned your back, you turned your back. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what I or not Iris, uh, Lily, our main character, has done. She's turned her back, she's turned her back, she's turned her back. Mm-hmm. So... Given that Iris was able to see the ghost and speak with it, she recognizes the same sort of soul that Lily has to Polly. God, I wish I had cared enough about the movie while watching it (laughs) to put those two together. I was literally trying to find anything, anything at all to get me through this fucking movie. And one more reason that this movie is so almost bleak is... Again, dealing with that loneliness and isolation, fucking, ah, I just lost it. I forgot where I was going. 
it's okay, but if I want to see that kind of interplay and that kind of character interplay, I'll read Jane Austen, and I fucking hate Jane Austen. Oh, come on. This is nowhere near as bad as Jane Austen. Uh, but there's also... Did you listen to the delivery of the lines yeah. from Lily? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of nonsense in there. I'm not going to defend that. It sounds oh, like... Oh, like... Somebody trying to sound like Jane Austen only badly. And that's not saying much as far as I'm concerned. So, Right. Well, I mean, there's also the element where uh, the old woman is giving away the home in the event of her death to a female writer. Mm-hmm. Who wrote for a female ghost that was killed in the house, which Lily was. Mm-hmm. So now there's going to be another tale. Great. Yeah, it's Ooh. it's the cyclical nature of death because they say that a house cannot be bought or sold, sold by the living once there is a death in it. Right. Now it's her house. Whose house? Lily's house. Ron's house. <laughs> yeah, no. I again, it would have it would have been a better movie and I would I could even give it a partial hey, this is cool if I could give a flying fuck about anybody oh. or anything in this movie. I remember what I was going to say, dealing with the loneliness and isolation. Very, very rarely, and this is uh, the filmmaking trick that Oz Perkins uses to exemplify that, very rarely is there ever more than one person in a shot. Oh, interesting. It is a very lonely, bleak movie. Great. I need a little bit more perking, as it were, in, in my movies to keep interested. Well, you don't think that that's good, well-made filmmaking. I didn't say it, the movie wasn't shot beautifully. I didn't say that they didn't take a lot of care setting the house. What I liked about this house and what I, I do like about the idea, we talked about that mold and the idea of the creeping dread and about the, you know, about the defilement of whatever. Well, the mold signifies death, clearly. Right. Um, they did a really good job. The rest of the house was pristine. In all the other movies that I've seen, the house almost was like a character. Mm -hmm. But this house actually showed me how empty everybody else was. That's why I couldn't get a feel. That's why I couldn't care for the characters, because they were as empty as the house, which makes this a touch more interesting. I still don't like it, but it's a touch more interesting now. But, and they also said, too, when she's or Iris is talking about Polly... That she never told me exactly what happened. She told me everything that happened before and after. So right. the ghost doesn't want to discuss its own death. Right. Okay. Well, because actually the ghost can't recognize its own death. Remember what exactly. they were talking about? <laughs> yeah. I wish I could care. Okay. <laughs> what about the murder scene? Um... Uh, which actually is one of my favorite shots in the film. Uh, blonde, completely like alabaster skinned oh. Lucy Boynton yeah. with the the black hat on. And then it's not even like a blindfold. It's like a it's ribbon. It's a sash. It's like a black ribbon. Yeah. yeah, it's like a black ribbon wrapped around her eyes. And mm -hmm. she's wandering through this house that her husband had built for her. And she stumbles upon an empty spot in the wall and pricks her hand on a nail or some loose wood. Yeah takes her blindfold off and knows exactly what's coming. And then her... Oh, dear. And then There's her, a hammer. Clack. <laughs> oh, yeah. He brains her. And the shot of him boarding up the wall after that, just... With all the blood? Doused in blood. Fucking fantastic. It is no head exploding with the meat fork scene. 
No, but we're not talking about that film. I know. But what happens is I, I realize, too, that I'm becoming a little more inured to these things. Right. So I'm like, oh, it's a hammer crack. <laughs> okay. no, I just think- no, but I, I will say that that is closer to what I envision a hammer strike looking than any of the cartoony stuff that I've seen, which I will see. I can I concede that point to you. The sound the way it looked and they never really showed the actual strike of the hammer, but they showed the blood afterwards. Mm-hmm. It was beautifully cut, beautifully edited and beautifully executed. Mm-hmm. Guy knows how to direct the film. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, we'll go on a little tangent here cause we've done his other films, but he also did uh, the black coats daughter, mm-hmm. which a lot of people that I know after I recommended it said, fuck you, this movie's boring. And I said, no, it's not. It's really good. You just have to actively watch it. You can't be on your phone. Watch the fucking movie. And people can't do that. I can't actively have a conversation, and then, let alone actively watch a movie. And then he also made Gretel and Hansel, which is a fucking fantastic oh, film. That movie was the business. Yeah, that movie's the shit. Yes. So, I mean... This is not a director that shies away from making bold choices. And I think that's what he did with this. Leaving it almost kind of sparse and the ending's really fucking bleak yeah like this is a movie that really makes you think and no it's not it doesn't have any chase scenes or anything i mean there's what a couple scares in it where the three where the ghost pulls the phone yeah that that one actually got me the phone pulling because i remember having that phone cord and you always paid attention because you were usually talking on it when you weren't supposed to. Uh-huh. So if the cat pulled it or whatever. So when that phone cord pulled, I jumped. I jumped about half a foot. One scare out of the whole movie. I will grant you that. And it's it was really easily done, too. All you have to do is have a dude behind the camera pull a phone cord. Which And again, it was one of the most <laughs> effective scares in the movie. Yeah. Like I say, he knows how to shoot shit. Um, we'll save the money for the blood splatter later. The, the one blood splatter yeah. later. I don't know. I think this is a film that, I mean, when you really dive into it, deep dive into it, it's not as boring because you watch, I mean, having gone through long spells of depression and isolation and loneliness and everything else, she starts to obsess over this story as well, Mm -hmm. which we are never really clear on whether there is a ghost or whether this is all in her imagination. Again. Because she's getting freaked out. Because she's decided to obsess on this thing so much, and she finds mold, and then she's got mold on her, and she envisions her arms. That was a good scene. That was a good scene, too. But, and this is a big but. Should we we talk about the arms? Well, we will in just a second. Again, I need to care about a character enough to when these things do happen. I'm not like, oh, neat set piece, or... Or, oh, wow, that's an interesting... I wonder if she's dreaming or not. Because in the last movie, I made eight different movies in my head because I wanted it to work. In this movie, I'm like, I don't want to do any of the lifting because they've done nothing for me. I had no character development, nothing. So I couldn't even... You learned that. But anyway, all right. So the arm scene. Yes. She's cleaning off a bunch of blackberries in a sink. Mm-hmm. And she notices a spot on her finger that won't go away. She's mm. rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it, and it just looks like a little spot of mold. Right, and then you look at her arms. And then her arms start to enlarge. They're turning gray. They're bubbling like a corpse would do. Yeah, that's uh, kind of gross. Yeah, I wouldn't. And I also, 
I have a tough time looking at blackberries. I have, there's a certain like things with holes in them, that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of that kind of symbolism in the movie. Uh-huh. And I have that thing where it freaks me out so bad I can't look at it. Like honeycombs, I can't look at honeycombs. They freak me the fuck out. So not a Candyman fan. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, not. No, no, no. I got spilkus just thinking about that. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so some of that pulled me out too. So, But I really, I really wish that I could have gotten in the movie enough for it to pull me in, to interest me enough to make that leap. But, all right, so... Well, we're talking about the spot on her hand. She yes. later sees it on the wall. Right. I thought we'd seen that spot earlier. I thought it was foreshadowed a little bit before we saw the spots on her. Because it was a, a small spot on the wall. Yeah. And was then, this, And then she this happened, and then she found the book? Or did she yeah. find the book first? Or the pages? with the uh, That on happens it? toward the end of the film. Okay. Or about two-thirds into the way. Okay, I'm just trying to keep a timeline in my head here. Yeah, so she sees the stuff on the walls, and it looks like exactly what's on her finger, and it's where the dead woman is boarded up into the walls. Then she finds the papers. Oh, and the finger. Notice the finger was the same spot where the woman pricked her finger. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Still don't care. (laughs) Fuck you! How can you see all this evidence toward this being a good movie? And again, I'm not going to fight you. It's boring. It's, there are long stretches where nobody even speaks, but it's so deep that I, I get real into shit like this. I appreciate depth. Don't get me wrong, but I still have to care. And there was no, absolutely no work done for that for me. None whatsoever. Did you give a shit about anybody in that movie? Honestly, I gave a shit about Lily because they made it clear that she was a woman who was dealing with some problems that she was running away from. And now she's run into this situation where she's completely isolated, hasn't seen anybody except for Mr. Waxman, who or Waxcap, I'm sorry, Mr. Waxcap that we'll get into in a moment. I looked up Waxcap because I thought maybe it was some weird medieval term for something. It's just a mushroom. Great. Not even deadly. Just funky looking. Kind of like him. Cool. Huh? This was a side for absolutely no reason. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, Mr. Waxcat. <laughs> oh, Bob Balaban. <laughs> he's a delight. He is in everything. Because he's such a, uh, I don't want to say this, he works for the estate. Essentially, he works for Iris Bloom's estate. Mm-hmm. And he comes by to check in on how she's doing. I assume he hires the hospice nurses. He basically controls everything behind the scenes. And he is so checked out. Yes. He is just, well, there's a problem with the wall. There's a mold in it. Is it structural? How <laughs> no. am I supposed to know? Well, we're not supposed to make renovations to the home because this is going to be registered as a historical site, which I guess wouldn't make sense if they're going to give it to another female author. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so all of the costs would come out of the estate, and it's not the estate's problem. Pretty much is what he says. Yep. Just very coldly, and he gives her a card of somebody that they've worked with before. Yeah, it sucks if you get moldy, but here, fuck you. Yeah, and pretty much, she says, he's alludes to the book, The Woman in the Walls, and Lily says, you know, oh, I've never read it. And he says, oh, well, there's a not very good movie made about it as well, if you prefer that. <laughs> and what was the word that she said? I'm being, Like, when she was trying to read the book, why am I being such a silly Billy? I'm like, why are they infantilizing her? There's been, like... Because she's that, like, wholesome girl that, you know, she doesn't curse, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. 
She's a hospice nurse because she wants to help these people at the end of their lives. I assume she's religious. They never really allude to it, but I would assume with the behavior and, you know, the way she dresses. Well, I guess not really because she always wears a uniform. Like uh, she's got a t-shirt. She's got like a That's Grateful Dead t-shirt on, on her. On off shit. hours. Yeah. yeah. But while she's being... Still wearing white pants though. Yeah. So, I mean, she's very clearly like this very wholesome girl that is trying to do this to help people. So it's basically watching a loaf of Wonder Bread. <sighs> they give her a backstory. I'm sorry they don't pound it into your fucking skull. Hey, sometimes I need skull pounding. That didn't sound right. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> sometimes I need something beaten in. No, let me rephrase that too. It's just not going to turn out well. I just need to be hit with a clue bat occasionally. So, Paul Apprentice, let's talk about Iris oh, for a minute. Iris. Oh, it took me out for just a second because all I could think of was the Stepford Wives when I saw this because that's where I know her from. Uh-huh. Just the Stepford Wives. And she's never really checked in either because she's got dementia. So, we don't really get a feeling for her either except that she's got dementia. She's wholesome. She's got dementia. There's your character development. Run with it. But it's they give her more than that because clearly she was talking to this ghost who gave her the story. Yes, but and, and the rest can, of the shots, she's a shell. Yeah, but she can sense an empty that there's vessel. something within Lily that is also an empty vessel. And mm-hmm. she tells her pretty much while speaking to Polly, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty you are. Right. All You're going to you rot anyway. Yeah. We all float. No, that's a different movie. Yeah, float. Yeah, it. It, oh, I, I don't. Care. We all float down here. We all float. All right, sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's keeping it topical and shit. That's only came out 50 years ago, so. Yeah. 50? <laughs> I don't know. I'm old. I can't tell what day it is, so. I, don't, I think that's one of those books that I always like would like to read, but I never will. No, it's like 10,000 pages. <laughs> I say, isn't it like 1,500 pages or something, like realistically? <laughs> the, hard, like, the card cover's like four inches. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't need all that. Nah, and I really I heard that there's like a child gangbang scene. Yeah, the there's there's stuff in there you just don't really need to have. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, no, it just <laughs> Stephen nothing. King was kind of a maniac for a long time. Well, all that coke and yeah, if you had an unlimited Stephen King coke budget, can you imagine the shit you would write? I I doubt there would be any writing happening. Not it's a died amazing of an... that he put, put a. I, I mean. Yeah, we're taking a kind of a tangent into Stephen King, but it's amazing that he completed anything. I would have OD'd a week into it with that kind of money. There were yeah. just no. Yeah, plus, I mean, all the drinking. Like, what do you say that he doesn't remember writing like Cujo? Cujo, the entire <laughs> Cujo, yeah. <laughs> One of his most noteworthy books, he has no idea. And I can't remember anything of note from any of the characters from this movie, so it works out. <sighs> this is a good movie. <laughs> Look, the bones of the movie are good. The ideas behind it are good. I just could not be bothered to give a fuck. Yeah, the the writing is kind of pretentious. Rhymes with <laughs> park benches, yes. Yeah. All right, the writing in this is super duper pretentious. Yeah. Like I said, this is my least favorite of all of Oz Perkins' film, which is why we did it last. But, I mean, I still think it has merit. I think that there's some good movies in here. And, I mean... This is his, I think we should go with my, my good ending idea. And this is his second film. All right. Tell me how you would fix this movie. Go ahead. I would fix this by making it a total, like, fuck you movie. At the end, 
I would throw like a couple clues out that things aren't what they would seem. And this is the fifth hospice one that they, her and, you know, the old lady and the ghost killed. That would make it at least interesting for me. And then I could go back and see the shit I missed or, or if they did more character development. So you wanted a 90s thriller. Well, that's how it looked for half. It doesn't look like an 80s You wanted thriller. like a diagnosis murder. I, I just wanted to... <laughs> a hospice nurse. I wanted to be some kind of fucking payoff or anything rather than what I got. it. You know, if I knew, knew that this was like a standalone art piece, maybe I would have gone through in a different mind. But yet, another horror movie with a word salad title. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That- I'm going to get scared. Oh, boy. That's that's a real bad title. Oh my god! I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Like, all right, man, pump the brakes. <laughs> I honest to god thought you were going making me watch Scream or My Mom Will Shoot. You know those like? Do you mean Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? No, you know where they <laughs> portmanteau like five that- different scary movies and then try to make it funny. I thought that's what you were going to make me watch. We we should do for no good reason. We should just do Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we could do that, or we could um, slam our dick in the door. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, all right, that, that's an apt comparison, I suppose. But I mean, watching Stallone grumble at an old woman—I would have more to say about Major Pain than I would about that. Oh hell yeah, Major Pain or a good Sergeant Bilko, if Ooh, you will, a double feature. Hell yeah! Oh yes. <laughs> So I think we've diverted from this movie quite a bit, but I don't know. Like I said, I think this is pretty good storytelling. I think the sparse use of any explanation given is, I like it because in horror, you don't always have to know. It can be left ambiguous, I think. Right. But then I would figure they would ratchet up the suspense a little more. They would make it yet a little more scarier, even if there was no payoff with the scary. Right, but I mean, watching a woman descend essentially into madness where we cannot tell whether things are actually happening or not because we're never shown Lily's body when they arrive because at the end they show them both being carried out on stretchers. Mm-hmm. They show Iris's body, and she is decomposing. Mm-hmm. So, how long has she been dead while Lily was still fucking around in the house? Yeah. But I would have to care. And I just don't. That can't be your... You got to fucking meet the movie halfway. I tried. I tried. I honestly tried. I tried to bring... We're trying to have a discourse here. No, no, no. You can't end everything with, I didn't give a shit. I know, but that's how deeply I didn't give a shit. I usually spend my time trying to find a way to make the movie work for me. And I get halfway to trying and not want to because the movie sucked to me so bad that I didn't want to do it anymore. But I was... I started this movie, and God damn it, I'm going to finish this movie. That's where I was. The only reason I got through this is because I knew I would have to do this. The other things that I didn't like about it, I, there are other things, but that is the biggest, most glaring. Oh, We talked about the stilted dialogue. If it was a good tone poem, if the whole movie was a good tone poem, mm-hmm. I would get into it. If there was just one more thing for me to stink my teeth into. You didn't think this movie just had an overall oppressive, lonely, isolated tone? I could stay home and not watch a movie and have that. I don't need a movie for that. I need a movie for, I don't know, some sort of, like, the story needed to be more mapped out maybe for me because I was trying to slog through the oppression. 
So I needed something else to get me through this movie, but there was really nothing. Now, if we take a look at it as, okay, Wallow in the Oppression, yes, I can see that. Yeah, it's a character study, essentially. But I also needed to have the movie entertain me in the slightest or turn my dial in any other way. Well, the other thing that I thought was pretty good, too, is there's no way to put a date on this, really. Because everything in the house is so old-fashioned, and then it just so happens that Lily also is that old-fashioned kind of person. And on top of that, too, people in those areas tend to keep their cars forever, so you really couldn't say if it was super modern or super old. Yeah. Because even the old stuff looks well-tended and new. Exactly. Oh, and I just thought of one thing that I enjoyed. I, I appreciate accents, and I can hear them all over the place. And um, oh fucking candy now! Oh yeah, a little bit. I'm gonna get a fucking old style, not the fucking couple two trio styles. Yeah, I know my accent sounds like it was buried in a time capsule behind Dennis Farina's house. I get it, but I could hear the Pennsylvania corridor when she would say stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out she was Pennsylvania, I'm like, okay, finally something. There's a fact. There is something in this movie that I can actually. Okay, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So I cared a tiny bit more. They could have thrown maybe two or three things more in there. So the other thing that I wanted to get to that I will admit, kind of stupid, is the ghost with the backwards legs for no reason. Well, there was a reason, but it was a real stupid reason. (laughs) Well, she kept turning herself around. Yeah, because when uh, Iris is talking to Lily, referring to her as Polly, in the whole, you know, you left, you pretty things... Sometimes you get so turned around that your feet are facing the wrong direction. Like, oh man, you didn't need to make a visual for that. That looked real stupid. <laughs> it looked like a ghost minotaur. <laughs> oh, God. That's one thing in this film that like really stuck out to me. It's just like, oh man, that looked bad. You should anybody should have watched that and like just you know nudged elbow nudged him in the hey, wrist. Don't, don't, don't do that. One. Don't just cut you, that. You're out. better than that. You're better than that. Yeah, because I thought all the ghost effects were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect much for ghost effects. You know, they just there's the ghost and kind of grainy or out of focus. I'm there. It really doesn't take much for me to get into it if his story is well told. And his story is kind of well told, but oh, not well, enough. So there was not kind of well told. There's huh? not there's not a lot of there there, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's so sparse that maybe you could have given me a tiny bit more to make this a good movie. But we know exactly as much as the characters do. Yeah, but we don't know shit about... Well, you told me not to say about that anymore, but... What? We don't know shit about the characters. We do, though. We've gone over this. We know that Lily is running from something. We know that she's a hospice nurse. We know that she is disconnected from all of her friends and family because of something that happened due to her being engaged and no longer being engaged. Mm-hmm. And how much are we supposed to get out of this hospice nurse? She's not going to talk to a woman with dementia about her past. Actually, yes, they do. But I happen to be married to somebody who's worked hospice for 15 years. Here's a question that I have about hospice. Sure. It's nothing to do with the film, really. That's no, all right. When they say that she's been there for 11 months and that she couldn't be there for more than a year or two more, is that a regular term for like a hospice nurse? I thought hospice was like definite end of life. Like you have maybe three months left to go care. Yes and no. Hospice is there. If there's um severely diminished ability to move or 
diminished um, mental capacity, then hospice can be called in early as long as there are funds for it. So this is just to make sure that palliative care is followed, to make sure that uh, basic needs are done. Um, traditionally, when you get to that point, it's, I forgot what it's called, called comfort care. All right. So just enough, hey, whatever you want to eat, we've got. If you want to get up and walk, we don't care. Just whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt yourself or others, we're going to do. It can go on for a couple of years, depending. So that is not. But would they keep the same nurse constantly? Like okay. I, I, uh, here's where I had a couple issues, but this was just me because I know shit. There should be, there should be two nurses. There should be more than one watch. Because there's needs to, you know, if you're... This is also going toward placing it as a year, because when would they have started doing that? If this was set in, like... Because this can't be set in the 70s or 80s, really, because... We'll get to it. Anyway, I'm right. sorry. I didn't but, mean to interrupt you. Um, hospice care requires at least two caretakers, because you have to sleep. And if you're sleeping, what happens if you don't hear the bell and it's something important? There has to be... There has to be, like, a, a rotation of some sort. Right. Especially if this is in-home health care of any sort, even prior to all the health care insurance and stuff, it still needs to be ratified, certified. There's a million things that have to happen to have hospice care in your home. Now, would that be the same if, since she was essentially very, very wealthy, if they hired a private, so, or did the, all of them have to follow the same rules, essentially? Well, if this you're, is just shit that I don't know about. Right, if, you're, if you have money and you're hiring a private health care, then that should already be fixed. It should have... At least two, so one can have a night off. Right. You know, go get drunk on Saturday night or whatever it is that they do. There's never just one person there. there. You can have one person live there as a caretaker, but hospice specifically has to have specific hours. It's just how it is. And like I said, I wanted to go back real quick to the, it's kind of hard to place when this movie takes place, I suppose, because we're told that Iris wrote... The Woman in the Walls in 1960. Mm-hmm. And when they flash back to her, she looks to be, like we were talking about it earlier, at the very oldest, early 40s. Yeah. At the very oldest. And she's sitting there chain smoking, so I can't imagine that uh, she would have been early 40s and still looking that good. So to place it, because she's at least probably 70 in the film. Yeah. Would you say? Conservatively. So that would be... 30 years at the very minimum. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 60, 70, 80. That, at the very earliest, it could have been like 1990. Because the actress, I think, that played her is probably 71, 72. Right. And since this was 2016. This actually was uh, Paul Apprentice's first role in like 30 years. Yeah. How did they get her? Because of Oz Perkins's connections. Oh, that's right, Oz Perkins. Yeah. Because I don't think we've ever really gotten into on the show when we've done any of his other films, but Oz Perkins, obviously, son of Anthony Perkins, Psycho, mm-hmm. of of Psycho fame, he was also a director. Yeah, and uh, Oz Perkins actually played young Norman Bates in Psycho Two. I did not know that. Yeah, he started out as an actor. I think he was in Clueless as well. Really? Yeah. I don't remember which part. But Probably like, douchebag and Chad number three. Well, yeah, because like he got into acting and realized that, because like, I listened to a podcast that he was on, that he didn't really like being in front of the camera. So he took a few years off and uh, was talking to an old screenwriting friend of his father's that he had known since he was a child. And, you know, 
like he was going to like NYU film school and then going and writing with this like legendary screenwriter at night. And that's when he kind of wrote February, which turned into Black Coat's Daughter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like he's jumping right into like Hollywood blockbuster horror. Like the three films of his that we've done have been pretty small mm-hmm. and they're all just absolutely gorgeous. He knows what he's doing with a camera. You know, the one thing I will have to say about this is that the amount of realism, like the way the light hit the people, it just looked like I was sitting in the room with them as opposed to specifically movie lit. Yes. It had a very natural feel. Everything about it seemed like natural, Mm -hmm. which made the mold a little bit more iffy and more icky on retrospect as as opposed to when I was watching it. But you still, no, this movie still sucks. No, it sure doesn't. Um, I guess we will, uh, Agree to disagree on Indeed. this one. Usually, so, usually so you, you can get me back around. Usually you can get me back around and I can see stuff, but I'm just not having it this time. You're just being an ignorant asshole about this one? Well, why should I change you for the bull, podcast? bullheaded son of a bitch. Well, it helps with my country music and, you know, bull, bull roping career. I've got to be a little obstinate. Yeah. Like the low rent Johnny Cash. Absolutely. Low rent? Yeah. L- lower rent? I don't know if you could do that. Than Johnny Cash? Yeah, meth and... Meth and trailers? Uh, I don't think he probably lived in a whole lot of trailers. He had Johnny Cash money. <laughs> <laughs> Still all that meth. He owned an ostrich farm at one point. Again, fueled by meth. You, you, know, you know how he almost died? Meth? God damn it. So he owned an ostrich farm and one of them got loose and he was uh, trying to get it back in because it's like female partner had died. And it, like, attacked him, and the only thing that saved him was he was wearing a giant belt buckle that kept it from ripping his guts open. Oh, dear. And then he just, when he was prescribed pain pills, he tried to uh, hide them inside of his wound, and they all dissolved in there, and he OD'd and almost died that way. I guess if you gotta go. Yeah, I mean, if you're Johnny Cash, what funnier way would there be than, oh, he hid pills in his sliced open gut, and that killed him. But well, I'm surprised it didn't get him earlier. Anyhow. So, James, would you recommend this film? Not only no, but fuck no. Oh, God. It's a good movie. Everybody go watch it. No, don't. It's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Watch it just knowing that you have to pay attention to or it. Or you can actually take some paint and roll it on the wall and watch it dry. Oh, shit. What a creative comment that you just made. Hey, no problem. Anyway, you know, about uh, as creative is the acting choices the actors made to inhabit a character. Yeah, well, they did a good job and you did a bad job. Is that what you're saying? I'm amazing. All right, uh, James, you got anything to plug? Let's fucking let, let's wrap this let's up. Let's not plug this movie. Um, I'm about three weeks out of starting my own podcast. I'll give more details as I get microphones. Oh, I bet you it'll really suck, too. Absolutely. It'll be real boring. It will be because I will not inhabit my character. Anyway, uh, you can find us uh, on all the socials, Horror Vomit. Send us an email at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. Or check out Chris on his OnlyFans. At OnlyFans, that's Dr. Pissface, D-R-P-I-S-S-F-A-C-E. Come see my dong and give me money. Now with more pictures. No, it's not. (laughs) Don't advertise things for me. Actually, if you ask him real nice, he might show you for free. I know. You say it every fucking time. And it never gets old. 
Yeah, you are an old man who beats a joke into the fucking ground, aren't you? I'm getting. I'm anyway, gonna go get a cue ball in a sock and beat this joke a little more. Thank you very so, much. Oh, I think that's it. Fuck you. And fuck you. <laughs>